0: Howdy, everyone. It's great to see you today. Just a quick reminder before we jump into the sermon of a very practical, simple way that you can care about people here at Faith Church. It's called our Deacon's Fund. Many of us have faced difficult financial situations in the past where we just needed a little bit of help with the rent or a utility, a medical bill, or we were seeking counseling and just wanted resources to get help and we found ourselves stuck financially, we have something here called our Deacon Fund and it helps people who are struggling financially. And we put this blue envelope in your bulletin today to remind you about that because that fund that directly goes to help people here at Faith Church is low, and we need a little love there. So we just ask you to consider generosity towards the people of Faith Church who are in need. And it's just a simple way, any of the ways we give text online or certainly in the offering buckets, just draw your attention to our Deacon Fund. I think it's safe to say that for all of us, there are certain people that it's easy to care about, and certain people that we really are happy not to care about. There are people that we like and people that we don't like. And when we think about caring for friends and family, there are people that rise to the front of our minds and go, I really care about them. I really care about that individual. But that guy or that friend or that coworker or that person, actually, I try never even to think about them because I hate them. Or I've been so deeply hurt by that person That I try to avoid their face, their name, I get out of their way as much as I can. Actually, I do not care about that person. I think most of us have had that experience where we have been so deeply hurt by someone we care about that we stop caring. And I wonder if that's how God acts. When God's heart hurts, does He? stop caring about people. And that might be an interesting thought for you because you might be going, does God have a heart that hurts? And the answer is yes. We're created in the image of God, and God has a heart, has emotions like we have, and there are things that cause His heart to hurt. And God has a choice about what He does with His hurt heart. Like us, the people that hurt us most are typically family and friends. The closest people to us are the ones who typically hurt us the most. And for God, if we're here today saying we're sons and daughters of the Most High, we're in His family, we have the greatest ability to hurt the heart of God as sons and daughters. We have the greatest ability to hurt His heart. And yet one of the foundational truths of the Bible foundational truths of the Bible is that God's love is so uncompromising and never-ending, so unconditional, that despite the fact that often we rebel against him, as sons and daughters who are supposed to be honoring him and following him, we're the ones that hurt him and turn from him. He loves us. He's for us and not against us. That doesn't mean there's not consequences to our decisions. That doesn't mean he overlooks sin and rebellion, it just means under all is this God who says, I care about you son or daughter, I love you. What's in some ways more difficult to think about is the fact that as sons and daughters, He wants us to look like Him, and that person that hurt you so deeply, that person that's done something so wrong to you, if we're to look like God, who loves us unconditionally. And there's something about how we treat the people that have hurt us that God wants us to grow in. And so I want to introduce you to a guy, his name is Caring Hosea. His story's found in the Old Testament book, Hosea. Turn there, Hosea chapter one. Open up your Bibles. It's sort of in the middle of your Bible, Hosea chapter one. And as you're going to Hosea one, I just asked the question, are you there yet? Have you arrived at being the most caring person you could be? Anybody want to raise their hand and say, I am the most caring human that I could ever be. The people that annoy me, I still care. The people that hurt me, I still care. Really? Liars? No. We're on this journey of learning and growing and becoming more caring. And Hosea's story gives us the opportunity to look at someone who is given an assignment that's mind-bending, incredibly difficult, beyond imagination. The assignment that Hosea is going to get will make us laugh because it's so unimaginable. It's so like, really, what? And yet, if God would call Hosea to love, and Hosea would choose to love the way he's going to demonstrate in this chapter of the Bible, then we really don't have excuses, because you're going to see what he's asked to do is major league. And we, like Hosea, can grow more caring. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to begin. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reign of four kings' names, I can't pronounce, in Judah. And during the reign of Jeroboam, king of Israel. So the word of the Lord came to this guy, Hosea, son of Berea, something. And when the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Hosea, that means that God showed up and said, I have an assignment for you, Hosea. I have something I want you to do. I want you to be my prophet my mouthpiece, my communication director, and Hosea's feeling good about himself. Like when God says, hey, I wanna make you my mouthpiece, I wanna make you my prophet, he's feeling good, like I got a really cool new job. It's gonna come with all kinds of awesome perks. God, what's my first assignment? I'm so excited to start. Verse two, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, Marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Say what? (laughs) I'm going to make you my communications director, and your first assignment before you start is go find a promiscuous woman and marry her and start a family with her. You want me to do what, God? Like, seriously, you want me to go out shopping for a promiscuous woman, marry her, and have children? God, why are you asking me to do this? It's because God wants His communication director to experience cheating, to experience unfaithfulness, in a front row, direct way, before he ever opens his mouth to speak on God's behalf, he wants Hosea to understand what it feels like to be cheated upon. Because the God of the universe has chosen a group of people, the Israelites, and he said to this group of people, these Jewish people, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be faithful to you, you're going to be faithful to me. He says, let's get married to this group of people, the Israelites, and the Israelites go, yes, we will marry you. But instead of being faithful to God, they cheated on God. They ignored God. They mistreated God. They chased other gods. And God's saying to Hosea, before you can open your mouth and speak, I want you to understand and feel what it's like to be cheated on. Because then you'll be able to warn my people. Then you'll be able to speak love and remind my people about how much I care. And at this point, if I'm Hosea, I'm going, I'm out. I don't want the job. I'll be anything else but what you're asking me to do. Can't do it. No way. Verse 3. So Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. I mean, imagine this. This is the real world. Hosea gets the assignment, go find a promiscuous woman. How do you start to find a promiscuous woman? Like, like what's his social media account going to look like? Like what, what's he going to talk to his friends about? What's he going to spend his night and days doing if I've got to go find a woman? who's known as a promiscuous woman. How am I gonna go about that, and what is my mom gonna say, and my grandma, and my great-grandma? Like, what is a people, what is a town? What's this gonna be like to find a promiscuous woman? But he takes the assignment, and he gets married, and Gomer gets pregnant and has a son. This is cool, right? Nice marriage. Now they're starting to have kids. Verse four, God says, call your son Jezreel. Translation, name your first son Massacre. Name him Massacre because God's going to judge His people for their sin. Verse 6, then Gomer has a daughter, and God says to Hosea, name your daughter Lurumaha, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel. Verse 8, Gomer had another son. God says to Hosea, Name your third child Lo Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. I mean, picture this. Hosea's family picture, it's incredible. Right? So they're all dressed up in their white t-shirts on the beach, and their matching jean shorts, and there you have the prophet Isaiah, ah, proud, with his lovely promiscuous wife, Gomer, and his three kids, massacre, not loved and not my people, all standing there smiling. What a precious little picture this is. And you thought your family was dysfunctional, right? It's like this is crazy, but it gets worse. Turn to chapter three, Hosea chapter three, because at some point, something happens, and this is so surprising, right? I, I'm, I'm so surprised by this. At some point, between Hosea getting this new job and marrying a promiscuous woman and having three kids, at some point, Gomer decides to cheat on him. I mean, isn't this shocking? Like, she's unfaithful to him, somewhere in all of this, in a major way. And look at what God says, to Hosea. He says in Hosea, chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loved the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and have loved the sacred raisin cakes. Seriously, God? Like, Hosea is like, you want me to do what? You want me to go get her and love her and buy her? Verse 2, so I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. I mean, Hosea's got a great job, right? This is this new, incredible position, communications director, building this picture-perfect family. Gomer cheats on him. Whether Hosea tosses her out of the house, whether she leaves for other men, we don't know, but Gomer finds herself enslaved, owned by a man, not her husband. And Hosea goes to this man's house and buys his wife back. And the language is he haggles with her pimp and says, I've got some money, silver, and I don't have enough money. I got to bring out the flour and the sugar, all the stuff out of my cabinets to lay this down on your counter and say, I want her back at great cost. He brings Gomer back into his home and he says to her, sweetie, let's start over. He says to her, stop the promiscuity, stop cheating. I'll be your husband, you be my wife. And this crazy dysfunctional scene shows incredible care despite incredible hurt. And the simplest theological explanation for all of this is in Hosea chapter 3 verse 2, the reason God commands this, he says in Hosea 3:2, love Gomer as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and they love those sacred raisin cakes. Love this cheating, unfaithful woman just like I love the people of Israel. Though they dishonor me, though they cheat on me, though they disobey me, I love them. And he says, they turn to other gods, and they love the sacred raisin cakes. Like, I find that phrase fascinating, sacred raisin cakes. Is that like the Chick-fil-A of their era? Like, the sacred raisin cakes. What the heck is that talking about? And what God is trying to say is, what Israel has done, and by extension, what Gomer has done, is not like, oops, slip, fall, made a mistake, once done, over. No, he's saying... Israel and Gomer have made willful conscious decisions to cheat over and over and over and over and over again. And these sacred raisin cakes are just a way of saying, it's not that they're not following God, it's they're chasing other gods and pursuing the rituals of other gods. It's arrogant, willful, deliberate, over and over and over again. And although this hurts the heart of God, he says, I love these people so much, they must be bought back. Right after he gives Hosea's kids terrible names, in verse 10 of chapter 1, God says, yet despite Israel's cheating, they will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. So although the Israelites have been rebellious, although they've hurt the heart of God. He must deal consequentially with their sin. There's consequences, yes, but he says, I will never turn my back on my people. I will prosper them. I will help them. I will protect them. What a wild, crazy story from the Bible. And what is it that we can learn? What is it that we can look at in this and go, okay, how does this apply to us in 2019? And here it is. We're all Gomer. I mean, it's so easy to look at Gomer in this story and go, what a tramp, how could she? It's so easy to look at Israel and go, how could they? But I'm the same. So are you, every one of us. We've all cheated on God, we've all dishonored him, we've all lied to him, we've all pursued shameful things. The Bible says this is our diagnosis of every person we're sinful with no ability to honor God And then when we start to follow him, we're like toddlers that think we can do it ourselves and we don't wanna listen and we rebel and we do whatever we want. We're all cheats, so don't be hard on Gomer. Look at yourself in the mirror and see what ways we have fallen short of God's goodness towards us. We're all cheats, but Gomer had a choice. She had a choice, so Hosea shows up to buy her back And Gomer goes back into his home, and she had a choice to stay enslaved to her promiscuity or to receive a love from Hosea that would change her. And you have a choice to take the diagnosis that, yeah, you're a rebel. Yeah, you're a cheat. Yeah, you're unfaithful. But in face of this incredible love that God would so love you that he would send his one and only son into this world to buy you back from your sin and shame, you can accept that diagnosis, you can accept that gift of love, or you can reject it. Paul says in Romans five twenty, he says, for where sin increases, grace increases all the more. What, what does that mean? When the Sin quotient goes up and up and up, and things are bad and bad and bad. It would be easy to think that grace and love go down and down and down, but it's the opposite. Where sin and shame and cheating and adultery goes up and up and up in God's category, love goes always higher. Forgiveness and grace always outweighs, outpaces the cheating and the slander and the sin of our human hearts. Sin has infected us. But instead of God running away from us, He runs towards us in the person of Christ, who opens up His arms and is nailed to a cross to embrace and pay for you and me and our sin and shame. I try to imagine, for a moment think of this, I try to imagine Gomer stuck in some kind of slavery to some man who owns her. By her choices, other people's choices, she finds herself owned by someone. And Hosea shows up. What does Gomer's eyes look like when he's got all the cash of the family and all the barley and the sugar and all the pantry and he dumps it on the counter and says, I want her back. What happens in Gomer's eyes? How much shame would be in her eyes? How much pain would be in her eyes? She has a choice in the moment. In the face of such love, what do you do? Do you accept it or do you reject it? Do you say, I want that love, Hosea, and let that love change or do you say, no way, I can't handle that kind of love, I can't handle that kind of forgiveness, I can't handle that kind of grace, and does Gomer just put her head down and say no and continue in a life of slavery and shame, or does she welcome it in her eyes and in her heart and begin to walk that out day by day? We have the same choice. This is at the very heart of God, His love is crazy, it seems reckless. And you could look away from the goodness and love and forgiveness of God the Father towards you through Christ his Son, that his forgiveness is so great it's immeasurable. There's nothing you could do that could separate him from it. You can look at that and look away and stay enslaved, or you can look at it and embrace it and welcome it and allow that love to to change you, not shame you any longer. But here's the deal, when you accept that kind of love, when God redeems us, he renames us. See, I'm Gomer, I'm not better than her. I'm Gomer, I'm a cheat. God redeems me through Jesus Christ and he renames each one of his sons and daughters, Hosea. He says, I redeemed you, I love you. I redeemed you, I love you, and now I want you to be like me. He didn't redeem you and love you and forgive you for you to remain the old unfaithful, no. He changed you from cheating Gomer to caring Hosea. When Jesus enters our hearts, His Spirit invades us. It begins to change us inside, I would imagine. For Hosea, this assignment was way above his pay grade, and he's looking at and going, I can't do this, God. I can't love her. I can't buy her back. I can't forgive her. I can't trust her. But God, if you ask me to do it, you'll empower me to do it, and he asked God's spirit to help him, God wants to do the same thing in you and me for us to become the kind of people that love and sacrifice for others. others. So Jesus says it this way, Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, if, when, when your brother and sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them, and if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. I mean, that's a kind of love and forgiveness that's not possible, right? But I want you to notice, it says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, because love and kindness and forgiveness is not separated from truth, right? So God speaks truth to us, and there's consequences. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, speak the truth to them. Tell them way they're wrong. Tell them the way they've hurt you. And if in response to truth, they say, I'm sorry, I want to turn from that, forgive them. But I like like Hosea's example here. He he takes Gomer back into his home and he, he lays down the truth to her and says, now stop being promiscuous. It isn't just I love you, I forgive you. There's some truth mixed in there that says, no, there's a new way to live. There's a new way to live but it's not optional to care and forgive. And I would add, just in a very practical way, care and forgiveness with God's help can happen immediately. See, if God commands me to care and forgive, I can do that with His help right here, right now. I can extend care towards you as a human, and I can forgive you But it's trust that must be rebuilt over time. And sometimes we mix all this together and we go, well, I can't trust him or her because they've hurt me so deeply. And because I can't trust them, then I can't care about them or forgive them. And I would separate that. God, you're commanding me to care and forgive, so help me to do that. But I can't trust him or her. So when Hosea brings Gomer back into his house, he doesn't trust her right away, for sure. But he does. Show love and forgiveness. There are people in this room who are under types of abuse, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, physically, that none of this is permission for someone to abuse you. Love and care and forgiveness is never permission for someone to abuse you or to put you in a spot where you're unsafe. No. It's very different to say, I care about you, I will forgive you, but I won't trust you because trust must be rebuilt over time. But here's the reason why God wants us to care and forgive, and this is so important, because care and forgiveness is the place where trust grows and where people can change. So if you think of the environment, the garden, where someone is going to change, what environment, what soil, what does it take for someone that you care about to change, for them to grow? It happens in a place where there is care and forgiveness. The only way I've ever changed as a human is because God has shown me my sin, been honest with me about my shortcomings, but has also so loved me, so forgiven me, so taken care of me despite my shortcomings, that that's the place where change begins to happen. If someone never cares, or never forgives, then what is the potential that someone will ever change? So what does it look like for us to be people that are like Jesus, willing to give someone the chance to change? It requires a level of care and forgiveness and trust being rebuilt over time. you got to know this, that if you care, it will cost you something. If you care like Hosea, like Jesus, it will cost you something every time you love, every time you forgive, every time you do that again and again and again, it costs you something. And when you feel that cost, think about the cost of your forgiveness. The forgiveness that you received through Christ came at an immeasurable cost and the cost didn't keep God from forgiving and caring about you. So when you get to that point where you say, I can't care, I don't love, I won't forgive, I'm not able to do this, God, with your help only, bring me on a journey where I can care, where I can speak the truth to someone who's hurt me or harmed me, where with your help, God, I can build the right kind of boundaries that allow me to continue to care and to continue to forgive but not trust. With your help, God, I can forgive and create the opportunity for someone else to change and to grow. Only with your help, God, I can't do this by myself, but I want to be like you. I want to represent you. I want to sacrifice so that others can be changed around me. I want to look like Your Son, Jesus, in every relationship, especially with the people that have hurt me most. Let's pray together. I wonder who's hurt you today really bad. You know their name and their face. Whoever's hurt you really bad, maybe today is just the day to say, God, would you help me to care? Whoever's hurt you really bad, God, would you help me to speak, to be able to name the hurt to name the abuse, to name the mistreatment, to name the injustice, would you help me to name that? God, would you help me to have the courage to speak that? God, if the person that's hurt me repents, turns from their sin, would you give me supernatural strength to forgive them? God, if people that have heard me turn from their behavior and want to live in a new way, would you help me to be strong enough to build good boundaries? Would you help me to be patient enough to not just go back to the same old patterns, but to allow trust to be built over time? God, if the person that's hurt me is unwilling to turn to change, would you help me not to hate them? Would you help me to be civil? Would you grow in me a forgiving heart that isn't connected to anyone else's attitude or behavior? but represents your forgiving heart. This is impossible, God. We desperately need you. Without your help, we will be hateful, uncaring, uncivil people. With your help, we can look like you, be loving and kind and patient and gracious. O oh, spirit of the living God, so fill our hearts with you that we can advance your kingdom, and people can change and grow because of how we treated them. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do through us and in us. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.